Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost's politics podcast. I'm Ned Simons and I'm joined, as always, by Paul War. Hi, Hello, Paul. Ned. And this week's special Brexit guest is uh, Anad Menon, the director of the UK in a, in a changing Europe think tank. Oh, yeah. Um, so things are moving fast. Um, it's important to note we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Uh, Theresa May is in Brussels, having just made her pitch to EU leaders who chewed over her plan. Um, what do they think? Well, here's the president of the European Parliament saying the Prime Minister's body language was good, but the content, apparently no news. I want to be optimistic. Because the the political message of Mrs. May is a positive political message. We want to achieve an agreement. On the content, no news. But the body language was more positive than in the past. And also as we speak, back here in Westminster... Um, everyone is piling into Theresa May's suggestion that the transition period could be extended. Um, here's Tory MP Nick Bowles declaring the party was now close to despair. I'm afraid she is losing the confidence now of colleagues of all shades of opinion, people who've been supportive of her uh, throughout this process, that they are close to despair at the state of this negotiation because there is a fear that both the government and the European Union are trying to run out the clock. That they're trying to leave this so late that they can then credibly say there is no alternative but a no-deal Brexit, and most people agree that would be chaos. Now, that is not an acceptable way for a leader of a government to behave. So, kicking off, Anand, extending the transition period, what would that mean, and why is it being suggested? Well, let's do this in reverse order. It's being suggested because... Everyone knows you can't sign a trade deal by the end of December Mm. 2020. So if we want to keep those negotiations going, we need to find a way of keeping ourselves in the orbit of the European Union. More directly, the Prime Minister's talking about it now because it seems like a cunning wheeze to avoid using the Irish backstop. Mm. If we can keep transition going indefinitely, we don't have to use the backstop. And that's a big problem for her with Mm. her backbench MPs at the moment. What it means is we'll we'll be under EU rules across the board for uh, all our economic interactions. We'll be continuing to pay into the EU budget. If we extend transition, we'll not only keep paying, but we'll pay even more than Mm. we're paying now because we'll lose the rebate. And that's going to be a problem, isn't it, for Tory MPs, (laughs) to put it mildly? Yeah, it will be a problem. And actually, you know, Jacob Rees-Mogg had it right. It's vassal status. We are under their laws with absolutely no say and no representation, and we're paying for the privilege. And do you think, actually, Anand, do you think that that is a price worth paying just to somehow find this middle way it seems almost impossible how can she satisfy the tory party and the houses of parliament is is this the only game in town is there, it doesn't look like there's any other option of, that anyone's come up with i don't think there is any option to extending transition the only because i don't think the prime minister wants us to leave to fall out of the whole system with no deal 
And I think she's clung. I mean, it's very interesting in, in Brussels that she clings to this fiction that this is an implementation period. There is nothing to implement. Yeah. It's not even a transition period because we don't know what we're transitioning to. Yeah. It's a holding pattern yeah. while we get ourselves sorted out. Firstly, the government needs to figure out what it wants. Secondly, it needs to negotiate it with the EU. That's not going to happen by the end of December 2020. And I think everyone knows that. It's just that no one is willing to say it out loud because of the politics. Yeah. And do you get frustrated sometimes? I mean, we can talk a bit further about this, but do you get frustrated sometimes, given that you've got, you know, you're, you've naturally a very neutral academic approach to all this, but you're a realist as well, and you know that actually it's not just about policy, it's about politics. And do you get frustrated sometimes that you just want to shake them all and say, Archie, can't you see how obvious this is, that this is this is the right solution or that's not the obviously the right solution and and yet somehow the the politics and the spin gets in the way or do you think it's just inevitable actually i have to say this last 24 hours and transition has irritated me more than i think anything <laughs> since this whole saga because you've been saga an expert in transition for a long time yeah uh, and simply because we're we're sort of in, in an alice in wonderland world now where everyone knows the truth but no one dares speak it uh, so we need a transition to sign a trade deal it's going to be ugly to have a transition deal uh, we've known all this. I think we wrote about this pre-referendum almost, that right. actually Article 50 doesn't give you enough time. It has been known by everyone, but we've been pretending. We've been kidding. We can't. We want to talk about implementation. And actually, one of the problems is, imagine we didn't ask for this now. Imagine we got into transition and then halfway through, as if by magic, the Prime Minister said, "Oh, we haven't got long enough. They will extract a far higher price if we did it then right. than if we do it now. So there is something to be said for getting for being for a bit of honesty, for a bit of straightness. But of course, the prime minister doesn't want to fight that fight. Yeah, which we'll have to at some point, surely. Well, we've been saying that for an awfully <laughs> long time, isn't it? About time that you know she faced down her critics. I think. I mean. You know, there are a series of things, aren't there? Now the rumour is, let's wait till the, we force the DUP to vote for a budget, then we'll betray mm. them. Uh, and of course, the, the other side of this is, I suppose, the logic of the whips, which is the closer we get to March, the harder it becomes for Remain supporting MPs to vote against a deal because mm. the it, begin, it begins to look more like a binary choice then between mm. deal and no deal. Yeah. It won't be a binary choice because Parliament can do what it wants. Parliament can mandate the Prime Minister to ask for an extension if it wants. There was actually, there's been quite another row today. It's about that vote at the end and about whether the motion will be amendable or not, whether it will be a straight choice. Do you think the government will be able to make it a straight choice? No, uh, because Parliament is sovereign and ultimately mm. it get, Parliament gets to tell the government what to do. And if, if, for instance, Parliament votes down the deal, I do not see Parliament simply acquiescing in mm. a slide towards a no-deal exit from the European Union. I don't think the government wants that either, but it's obviously in the interest mm. of the government to make it seem like that's the choice. Our deal, or a nightmare, mm. is quite a good way of getting support for your yeah. deal. But isn't, isn't that the problem, though, Anand, that, that we, we are sort of sliding towards that? And in terms of parliamentary procedure, um, I don't know what you think, but I thought that actually Dominic Grieve and co. sold themselves a bit too cheaply last summer on the whole idea of a meaningful vote. David Davis came up with this plan which was a bland plan we will come back and make a statement to parliament a neutral statement a neutral statement and then you know um the speaking and can possibly work out whether it's amendable and if we assume it's amendable and you can amend it in some way you like but there was no specifics other than the date the end point which is mm -hmm. in january 21st. 21st. 21st um the, the the date was the only thing in my mind that seemed specific everything else seemed quite woolly and isn't that a bit weird that, you know, MPs on such a massive, massive issue still don't really know what parliamentary procedure they can use yeah. to get what they want? Yeah, I think it was a very limp amendment. Uh, 
I must admit, I was I had the wool pulled over my eyes at the time by parliamentary experts saying, "Oh, this is a very subtle piece of parliamentary tinkering by Dominic Grieve." It turns out, it's got no teeth. You're absolutely right. Nevertheless, if Parliament rejects the deal that Theresa May brings back, Parliament then can decide what it wants to do. Mm. I mean, Parliament. But then isn't can... the clock ticking for Article Fifty? The clock is ticking, choice. but I think under I mean, the circumstances. that act. Oh, I think. In the event that the deal gets voted down, we're almost certainly looking at going back to the European Union saying we need an extension. Lots of interesting questions then, because there are some people in the European Union who genuinely do not want to countenance that extension going past the European Parliament elections. Right. Uh, so really? there's, there's only Well, absolutely, because... Well, for several reasons. One, because under the treaty, we'd have to elect MEPs. Imagine that election. Oh, yeah. Uh, so... <laughs> UKIP returns. So, well, UKIP, I think the Monster Late Raven Union Party wins under those circumstances. I mean, so there are lots of very, very good reasons why they don't want the extension to be too long. But, right. And the parliamentary elections are foremost amongst them. But we're going to... If, if we end up gridlocked in Parliament with Parliament saying we don't want no deal, but we don't want this deal, we have to get an extension. There's no other option at that point. Right. And that's why you think... Uh, we could have two extensions, maybe. We could extend Article 50, but we could also extend the transition yeah. period. And Well, actually, let me just say, the other option, of course, is that Parliament says, let's have a referendum. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, just in parentheses, it's worth saying that things like this People's March at the weekend will help the government in the sense that the more noise is off about another referendum, the more the whips can turn round to the softer members of the European Research Group and say, look, it's totally up to you. You want to leave, your best bet is to vote for this deal because otherwise that lot are going to force through another referendum Mm. and you might lose that one. So I think the government's playing both sides against the middle. You're making Remainers trade off the deal and no deal. You're making Brexiters trade off a second referendum on the deal. Mm. It's a dangerous game of chicken though, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if indeed people like Rhys Mogg and, and they don't, it's not their first choice, no deal, but they, boy, are they not unhappy about no deal. Dominic Raab too made quite clear at at the Tory conference, uh, one of the most striking things from anyone who went to any fringe with Dominic Raab was he kept repeatedly saying, well, you know, it wouldn't be a disaster, no deal. And virtually everybody else in your world and, and in the academic world and in Europe thinks no deal would indeed be a total disaster. We saw overnight the French preparing their own emergency legislation for a no deal, which looks terrible. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, isn't the problem for May that actually the, the in terms of numbers lacking a majority... It only needs seven M- Tory MPs who are keen on no deal for this whole thing to happen, no deal. Absolutely. The numbers are very bad, and I think this actually is where the Labour rule changes over deselection come to play. Because, you know, if you look at the Labour Party, many of Corbyn's supporters think he's anti-Brexit, OK? And many Corbyn supporters, if they see him voting against the Prime Minister's Brexit plan, will see that that proves that he's anti-Brexit. The sight of Labour MPs, therefore, remain-leaning Labour MPs, defying the whip to support the government is going to leave them very, very vulnerable in their seats. So I th- yeah. it is going to be tight. And I don't. I think a, a lot of Labour MPs have got a lot of difficult decisions to make. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not for a moment suggesting that the Prime Minister is going to win. All I'm saying is, is their tactic is to try and peel off people from both sides, leave it as late as possible, and hope that that proves to be enough. That when push comes to shove... And remember, the Tory Remainers have got a, a long and honourable track record of caving, haven't they? Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's true. So... You know, it's not an unreasonable assumption on her part that, you know... They have, but the the, the Brexiteers haven't. No, absolutely. You see, I talked to some people this week, I mean, Bernard Jenkins being one of them, and he greeted an old friend who was a former MP and pointed at him and said, this guy voted 53 times against Maastricht. Um, and, you know, we've come a long way since then, haven't <laughs> we, Paul? 
And, you know, the, people like David Davis, who whipped Maastricht, yep. they know all the tricks. Yep. They know all the yep. cajoling, all the pressures, all the 11th hour tricks. Mm. And that, I can't, just can't see them caving. I think that's one of her big problems, isn't it? Well, I, the number I keep hearing from members of the European Research Group is 40. 40? It's, it's, yeah, it's not right. the 70 or 80, yeah, yeah. but it's 40. And that, that is too many. Yeah. So they're going to have to peel more than that off. And I have to say, my experience of Brexit so far, and I mean, you know far more about this than I do, but it's made me wonder whether the whips just aren't very good at their jobs because there, there have been instances where I just thought, that just shouldn't be allowed to happen if yeah. you had a competent whipping operation going on. I think you might on. have a point there, Anna. <laughs> in, I mean, look, even in the, something as simple as the restoration and renewal of Parliament, I mean, I made the point this morning, last this January, Theresa May was in China with the rest of us hacks. She thought back home there's going to be this vote on the billion-pound plan mm. to restore Parliament. And she thought her uh, chief whip had told her, don't worry, Prime Minister, I've got this sorted. While she's away, she loses a vote on it by, you know, a narrow margin, which a smart whip would have worked out. So yeah. you're right. I mean, I think there is a problem there with the whips. I mean, to be fair to the whips, these are these are odd times. And they're, they're hardball and, people they're playing mm, against. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, if we kind of circle back to negotiations, and obviously the main kind of argument really is about the backstop. Yeah. If we can kind of talk about, you know, what is the UK proposing? What is the EU proposing? And how much chance do you think there is of an agreement? If you could just cover that off in about you know, <laughs> 30 seconds 30 in short seconds, words. That'd be great. Clear yeah. language. <laughs> can I just say one thing first that we don't say enough? In the last week, the negotiators have achieved an awful lot. Mm. And it's just worth bearing that in mind because there are all sorts of issues like Gibraltar, mm-hmm. which could have been veto points. And they've virtually got to agreement on them. So let's not fall into the trap of thinking nothing's happening. In the last week, the negotiators have been very, very active, and they've dealt with a lot of very sticky issues, which, as you say, leaves us with Ireland. Uh, the European Union will not compromise on the backstop. And the backstop simply says, we have got a plan to avoid a border in Ireland in the event the trade talks either go wrong or go in the wrong direction. And the only thing we will offer is Northern Ireland stays in bits of the single market and the customs union. It might mean borders with the rest of the UK. That's your problem. Our only obligation and the only obligation of the uh, the government in Dublin as a co-signatory of the Good Friday Agreement is to make sure there's no border. That's not going to move. Mm. The problem the government has is this. That's going to go in the withdrawal agreement. The withdrawal agreement has to be agreed first. Then there's going to be a political declaration, which will negotiate after withdrawal agreement. And what Theresa May wants to do is basically sweeten the pill of the backstop in the second document. And you sweeten the pill by saying the European Union is willing to talk about a customs arrangement and a joint rule book, which will mean no border within the United Kingdom between Northern Ireland and the rest of the UK. Problem is, the EU hasn't said yes to any of that mm. and won't talk about it till we've signed the backstop. So we have to... And the problem with the withdrawal agreement is it's all negative for us, isn't it? It's how much we're going to pay, how much we're going to cave on Ireland, and what rights we're going to give to Europeans. Yeah. There's nothing in that for us. Really. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's British citizens in the European Union, but that's not a, a political yeah, priority. There's no to be win. Fair. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and this goes all the way back to David Davis mm. last yeah. summer, the fight of the summer, sequencing. <laughs> this is where sequencing bites. Right. The EU are making us sign the really bad bit yeah. before they'll talk about the bit that might make it look better. And I mean, one of the fears of the government at the moment is. A slight lack of trust, I think, in the Article 50 task force. You know, their nightmare scenario is that the withdrawal agreement gets leaked before the political declaration is done. Because can you imagine if parliamentarians have four weeks to pick over the carcass of a deal that is negative? Then the battle's lost. Yeah. You know. But actually, Anand, you say that the EU won't won't budge. And I've always thought the EU won't budge until this week when I saw 
Tom McTague and, and Politico, mm-hmm. who's reasonably well informed, let's be honest, suggesting that there was some weird way out of this, which was that the backstop to the backstop that th- they would actually drop. Even he's, he's suggesting that things will go so much to the wire that Europe is so keen to avoid no deal that Ireland itself is so keen, given how dependent it is on, on east-west trade, never mind north-south, that Ireland is so desperate to maintain trade and avoid a no deal that even Ireland will relent and say, actually, all right, we this insurance policy, we might have to just drop it and we might have to agree your temporary customs arrangement because it's the only way we're going to get anything. Mm-hmm. It, is that remotely plausible or do you just think it's such a red line? Because... Surely, I mean, a lot of Tory MPs have said this to me. Look, they rely on billions of pounds of trade with us. You know, the, what, the fourth largest part, mm-hmm. trading partner with the UK, Ireland? I think we um, export more to Ireland than we do to the do BRICS the, combined. The, and than we do to China. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so they rely on that. Yeah. Uh, is Ireland really going to go to the wire on that kind of stuff? The risk of no deal is so severe. In other words, hasn't she got the Irish... In the same position, she's got her back, um, a lot of her backbenchers and Parliament, Labour Parliament, parliamentarians and Remainers, which is, no deal is so bad, just give me a bit of slack on this. It's an incredibly plausible argument, but so too was the German car manufacturer's argument. Right. Uh, and my sense is, no, the right. Irish won't give in on this. And right. I think, you know, we live in a world where politics trumps economics. And it will be painful for them. I think you know the cost for Ireland of this will be second only to the cost for for us. So there is yeah. there is no doubt that this will cause significant pain. There is no doubt that they want a deal. Uh, I think what we can maybe hope for is that the Irish say we need the backstop. We have to sign the. But they've gone out on a limb on this. I don't think politically he can walk back from the backstop now. Right. But they might be an ally in our talks with the EU about being flexible about customs, being flexible about the common rule book, in the trade bit. Because if we get those right, the backstop remains just an abstract right, thing that yeah. we never actually have to implement. And the point about the backstop is if we don't have to implement it, that's fine. Yeah. So she needs the Irish basically to help persuade the Brexiteers that... Look, well, she needs the Irish to persuade forward. the other member states, France in particular, that they need to be a bit more flexible. The Brexiteers are a whole different kettle of fish because, yeah. of course, the only sort of trade deal that would get rid of the need for the backstop is one where we are under Brussels rules for goods and agriculture. Uh, and that isn't taking back control for some people. <laughs> Given that we're sort of running out of time, if I was to ask you a prediction, deal or no deal, when we get to the end of the talks, what would you say the chances are? I think there definitely will be a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whether it's my head or my heart or both of them, but I sort of think somehow it'll squeak through Parliament, that Lord alone knows how. I just sort of, I mean, I was accused of being awfully naive and too optimistic. Uh, when I said this to someone yesterday, so maybe I'm, I think there'll be a deal. Mm. Lord alone knows what's going to happen in Parliament with this deal. And, and what that, will the deal look like? The deal will look like the backstop as it is now, with a political declaration that will certainly talk about an all-UK customs arrangement, because that's basically agreed that there'll be an all-UK customs arrangement. The key bit, which I don't know if the EU is going to move on, is this common rule book. Because that is cherry-picking. That is parts of the single market for the UK as a whole. And the French, to date, have said they want no part in that. And that's maybe how Theresa May sells it to the public. And let's not forget the public at the end of all this, not just the MPs. Her message to the public will be, look, we get the best bits of Europe, but we're out of Europe. Is She could sell it like that? Well, yeah. I think if I were the Prime Minister and I had that sort of deal, I'll say, listen, I have delivered on a promise that you never thought I'd be able to deliver on. We're leaving the European Union. We're maintaining trade to a degree that didn't seem possible. So there's far less friction than there might otherwise have been. And we are not betraying our 
Northern Ireland brethren. Yeah. I think it's, it's not up to the public. I think with that, <laughs> we'll have to end. Um, Leave and is way more informed about Brexit than they normally are when it's just... Yeah, our, our, listeners, so, uh, our listeners will be just so distressed and discombobulated. There's yeah. an actual someone who knows what they're talking and, about. And uh, join us again next week where we'll be much less informed. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. And the quiz will be back. Bye. Bye.